Good morning. I'm reading from Psalm 22, NRSV Selected Verses. <clears throat> my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. I am poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. O my help, come quickly to my aid, for he did not despise or behore the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried out to him. This is the word of the Lord. you remember our friend from two weeks ago his minutes are going quickly and he is deep into sadness today um, pretty much like David the author of this uh, Psalm 22 that was read uh, minutes ago sadness um, all of you know that I have been a, a, a hospice chaplain for a number of years in the 90s, and I work with um, a lot of people who were at the last stage of their lives. I saw many people dying, many of them died in my arms. I did many, many, many funeral services, the memorial services, and uh, <coughs> one thing I used to say to my patients, uh, I, I used to ask this question, have you cried? Have you cried? You're so preoccupied with this death, impending death. You are so concerned, you are so scared, you are so worried, you um, have all these mixed feelings within you, within you have you cried? And just asking the question seemed to open the, the, the floods of tears to come out. And I used to tell them, tears cleanse your soul. 
when you let tears out, they cleanse your soul. It's so cleansing, it's so liberating to be able, it's what uh, psychologists call a catharsis. You have a catharsis, right? You, you are able to express your feelings of sadness in that way, and that is a very cleansing thing to do. I'll tell you a story. I had this one patient that I followed for several months until the day, the day he died um, to be signed into hospice back then. I don't know how it is now. Things change so much. Um, a doctor had to certify that you um, had a life expectancy of six months or less. So I, I visited this patient at his home uh, for months. He had a hospital bed in his living room. And um, oftentimes we talked alone. alone. When, when I came, his wife left the room so to leave me to have some time, uh, private time with him. We talked about spiritual things. We talked about death and life issues. And we talked about his feelings. And, um, and uh, after my visit, the wife walked me out, and that's when I talked to her, with her, uh, outside the house. And, and, and she told me how she felt, and, and her fears, and her feelings. And um, So one day she told me, uh, I asked her, have you cried? And she says, oh, I cry a lot. I go to the bathroom to, to cry so he doesn't see me because I don't want to upset him. So I lock myself in the bathroom and I, I, I cry all I can. So I knew that, I had that information. And then another day I'm visiting with him and he says, I have a concern. And I said, what? He says, I don't think my wife cares. I'm dying and I don't think she cares. And I said, why do you say that? She's taking care of you. She's tender into every need you have. What I have not seen her cry. I have not seen her shed a tear for me. So I called her and I said, you guys need to talk. <laughs> um, oftentimes that happens. We want to hide our feelings for the sake of others. We want to protect other people so we don't want to cry in front of them. And they take it as if we don't care because they don't see us shed a tear. Tears are uh, one of the marvels that God has created, in my opinion. They're wonderful. So today, I'm going to give you some facts. I'm going to talk to you about three things, three things that are pertinent to our sadness and to our situation as a church. First, I want to talk about inappropriateness. Have you ever made a U-turn in downtown? Anybody? Hello? That's inappropriate. You don't do that. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever um, missed a stop sign? Yeah, yeah, I know we all have. That's not only inappropriate, but it's dangerous too. So, don't do it. We all do inappropriate things all the time. All the time we're doing inappropriate. Have you ever say a word you shouldn't say in front of a child? And you go, oh. I know I have. 
inappropriate things. We all do inappropriate things. The problem is that sometimes you cannot afford that luxury. Sometimes you can't afford that luxury. Um, if you're a teacher, we have many teachers in this congregation, many educators. If you're a teacher, and if you're a teacher, let's say in high school or college, you know, and you have some students that look really good and are appealing to you, and if you develop feelings for a student, that's inappropriate. If you say anything to a student, that may cost you your job. Am I right or am I right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> when you're a professional in certain professions, you hold a position of power. I'll tell you why being a teacher and falling in love with a student is wrong. Because of the power differential. There's a power differential. You are in a powerful position. You are there to correct their papers and give them a grade and help them pass or not pass a class. That gives you a lot of power. When you have that kind of power, uh, whatever you say to your students can be intimidating. And they may pretend that they go along with you because they're, they're scared of what's going to happen if they don't. To put it simply. And that's why it's inappropriate, because of the power differential. Simple. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about me now. I'm a pastor. When you're a pastor, uh, there are some standards that are a little higher expected from you. I'm very aware of that. All the time. I'm very aware of the way I talk to children. I'm very aware of the way I, the, 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 the topics I discuss with children and I make sure that the parents are present when I do. I'm uh, very aware of some information that I should not divulge to children, for example, um, because that's treading on dangerous waters. There's a power differential with children, and I have to be very careful on how I do that. I'm very aware of the power differential with uh, members of the congregation and with the staff. I'm very aware that I need to um, be gentle and careful and appropriate. I may drive my car and be inappropriate doing some things, but I cannot afford the luxury of being inappropriate when I'm here as the pastor of the church. Cannot afford that. Because I'm a professional. And because there's a power differential, and if I'm inappropriate, you can fire me. I have a feeling that today we don't have many people here because people were afraid of what I'm going to say. But I'm going to say it anyways. Because it made it easier, the fact that we are a cozy little group of people. Last year, Ben crossed the boundaries he shouldn't have crossed. 
I said it before and I repeat it now. He didn't do anything horrific. He didn't do anything much worse than missing a stop sign. Actually, it's a good allegory. <laughs> he missed the stop sign. He shouldn't have done that. There was a power differential. He was a professional. The council didn't know how to deal with that. Would you have known how to deal with that? A lot of people in the congregation became upset with the council because of things that transpired and even more about things that didn't transpire. One thing the council had clear in their mind is that they had to keep confidence of all the information. So they didn't share everything with the congregation because they felt that they were treading dangerous waters when it came to ethics and legal issues. And believe you me, they were dealing with lawyers. I don't know if you knew that. There were lawyers involved. Need, need I say to say more? <laughs> uh, the band belonged to the Presbyterian denomination denomination, so the council called the denomination that upholds its ordination and said there is a situation here, and they uh, initiated an investigation of what had transpired. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with you know, knowing that. <laughs> you probably did. But at the time, the council was trying to be very careful. They didn't feel, I'm talking about a year ago, and many things happened in a year. The council formed a team with three people from the presbytery and two people from the congregation, leaders from the congregation. They investigated what had happened, talked to the people involved, talked to Ben, listened to him, and the Presbytery, and this is fresh in my mind because I just talked to the presbyter two days ago. And she told me this. The, presby the presbytery decided that yes, he had crossed some boundaries. That no, it was not as bad as to have the need to take his ordination away. He's still an ordained minister with the Presbyterian Church. They gave him some things to do, some assignments to do. Usually, she didn't mention this, but in cases like this, is maybe counseling, maybe taking a, a, a class in professional ethics. I don't know what it was, but usually that's what is done. And in a year, he can come back to the presbytery and say, okay, I did my homework, I did everything I was asked to do, and uh, I'm ready to go back to ministry. Or not, because it depends on him. If he approaches the presbytery, he can become a pastor again. Or not, if he doesn't want to do that. That's where we are right now.
Sadly, we are at the point where some people got so angry that they left the church back then, and anger is something, we talked about that last week, something that sometimes is very misdirected. So anger was directed at Ben, anger was directed at the council, anger was directed at the staff, anger was directed at anybody who, anybody. Because like we said last week, uh, Elisa said so well, anger is one of those things that come out when you are, uh, when you have bad news, when you feel bad. Hmm. All that happened a year late, a year ago. So this is what we're doing now. Now, we are open to answer questions. So I'm working on preparing a, a meeting uh, that you can choose to come or choose not to come. It depends on you and who, where you are. But for people who still have questions and people who still need to talk and debrief these things, we'll have a meeting. I cannot announce today what it's gonna be, but you will know with plenty of time to make your plans and participate if you choose to do that. Actually, I have to confess that I reached out to all the therapists, well, at least all the therapists in the congregation that I'm aware of, <laughs> and, uh, and they're going to be helping me figure out what to do and how. We are working on our art project, and as soon as this message is over, you uh, are invited to come to the tables, pick up a piece of fabric and a, 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 a sharpie, and write there your feelings, your prayers, your thoughts about everything that happened, about how you feel or felt, or if you were not a, a, a part of this event at all, just write something about your own pain, whatever that was. As I said a couple weeks ago, pain is part of the human condition. So I'm sure you have your own, aside from what happened here at the church last year. We will make a piece of art, and I called on the artists in the congregation, and this congregation is fabulous. Well, whenever you need somebody, you have a professional ready to go. Um, and the artists are going to work on a piece of art that will be unveiled to you on uh, September 27 when we have our lamentation service, which will be a service of hope and healing, hopefully. It will be at 7 p.m. The childcare is available. So those are the facts, my friends. If you were afraid of or willing to hear a horror story, there is no horror story. There is no horror story. It's just the pastor who messed it up a little bit, just enough for the church to stay. We will be more comfortable if you tender your resignation. And a pastor who went into his own network to, to be restored, 
pastor that will very well be a very good pastor somewhere else. In a congregation that was left a little broken and that believes in a God of restoration and healing and reconciliation. So the second fact I want to share with you is that as a result of these things, we become sad. Some of you have shed tears with me, in a conversation with me. I don't know where your tear shedding is these days, but if you need to do that, come talk to me. Can't talk to Michelle, can't talk to um, anybody you trust in the congregation, the staff, anybody. And open the floodgates and let them go. Let the tears go. Tears may be there for a week. Tears may be there for a year. Another thing I told my the families of my patients when I was in hospice is there is no dictate on how long grieving should last. Grieving is your own process and you do it for as long as you have to. For yourself, not for show, not to look good in front of anybody who's watching, not to make anybody happy. Don't pretend that it's all over because people around you are expecting you to get over it and be well. If you're not, you're not. And that's it. Lately, I've been talking about transparency and I've been talking about freedom. So take the freedom that you need to grieve as you must and to end your grief when you should for yourself. And the third fact that I want to share with you, and you heard it during the reading of the scripture, is that God hears, empathizes, and heals. I don't know if you remember this passage, but Hagar, who was the, the, the other woman of Abraham, Abraham had uh, uh, Sarah as his wife, but Sarah couldn't have a child, and there was a promise that Abraham would have a child, so uh, Sarah said, take my servant, Hagar, and he born a child to Hagar. And, and, and then, um, after a while, when Sarah had her own child, after all, I was a child of the promise, um, Sarah got a, really, a little mad with Hagar and sent her away and told Abraham, you, you have to dismiss her, send her away. And Abraham, obedient as he was, he prepared a backpack and bottle of water and sent Hagar and the baby out into the desert. Anybody? Have you read this? Yeah. And Hagar knew that the baby was the child. It's not a baby anymore. The child was going to die. And he left the child sitting there. And she went a little way and sat there and cried and cried and cried and cried because she was grieving for her son who was going to die in the desert with no water, with no food, with no home to go to. And as she's crying, 
the Lord shows up and the Lord says, what's the matter? Why are you crying? As if the Lord didn't know. But because talking is a good way to solve things and a good way to process things, God makes Hagar tell him the story. And she says, all this happened and now my child is going to die. And what does God do? God prov provides a fountain of water in the middle of the desert. And he says, go, don't cry anymore. Go hug your child and give him water. He also has a promise of his life. So, this is God we're talking about. The same God that you pray to in the morning when you wake up, at night when you're going to go to bed, maybe before you eat. Who knows when you pray? <laughs> maybe when you're driving, like me, I pray when I drive all the time. My, prayer, my driving needs a lot of prayer. <laughs> uh, but, but, but it's the same God that you have access to. It's the same God that you can reach out and feel. It's the same God that touches your heart, the same God that made you, that saved you, that walks with you, that talks with you, that tells you that you are his own. It's the same God. He cares. He empathizes. He can heal. He can heal. So, this is my invitation today. Let us cry and trust God. Let our tears not be empty tears, but tears full of faith. May the Lord bless you all. And, and again, if you have done this writing on the fabric thing already, you can come up and do it again. And if you haven't, I much to come. Nobody will read what you write on those pieces of fabric. That's between you and God. And when we make the piece of art with them, we'll make sure that nobody can read what is written. Please come.